0: come alive with pastor mark martinez
1: let me ask this your wall are you building it as a wall of prayer first and foremost because that's one of the foundations of this wall And then the next level needs to be study of God's word, knowing the direction you need to go and how to get there and seeing that God is great and awesome. And finally, are you doing it for those around you? Are you leading by example so those around you aren't discouraged and scared?
0: Pastor Mark shares practical advice that can be gleaned from the story of the Jews rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. Walls are built to keep out enemies, and as a Christian, you have a genuine enemy in the devil. When you create a barrier to keep the devil out, there are 3 things to remember. First, a foundation of prayer, followed by the study of God's word. Second, present your requests before your heavenly Father. Fill your mind with the truths of who he is from his word. Third, Finish with building walls or protecting your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Lead by example so those around you are not discouraged. Well, let's join Pastor
1: Mark in the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 for today's edition of Come Alive. There's a verse in the Bible that says, God opposes the proud. The word in that verse, oppose, means you're his opposition, his enemy. We need to be careful. See, if you're God's enemy, you've made yourself your own God and you try to rival him as the Lord of the world. It is righteous for the people of God to pray for God to triumph over you. It is. And so sometimes we have to see and we have to know and we have to understand that God is an awesome God. He's an amazing God. He is a God that can do all things And so as we look through Nehemiah and as we continue to read, look at verse 10. It says, and then Judas said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. They were not able to build the wall. They were not able to continue with the work that was going on there. They were struggling. They had a tough time. And so Nehemiah says, hey, you know, we're failing. He takes it to the Lord. He tells them everything that is going on in this situation. He says, hey, Lord, we're having a tough time. Help me, Lord. Help me with this. And then look at here it says, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. There's so much trash that they can't build the wall. They can't They can't do what they need to do. And so as we look at this, he's saying, you know, there's all this stuff, and we really can't build upon this. In verse 11, it says, And our adversaries said, They will neither know nor seek anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So Nehemiah is like, man, Lord, this is what we got to do. This is the strategy. Now, a lot of times you and I might think that as we pray and as we work through things that the Lord has us to go through and we're looking at it and it seems big and giant and scary and, and just out of control crazy, that what can I do? I'm just one person. I, I am sitting, and I can't do anything. And it seems like a good thing to do. I'll tell you, my, my story is this. First and foremost, when life gets rough, my first thought is, take a nap. Take a nap. That is not the right answer, to take a nap. All it does when I wake up from the nap, no matter how long that nap may be, is, well... The problem's still there. And sometimes the problem, actually, it gets worse uh, by taking a nap, by procrastinating. See, I've made a decision. And you say, well, no, 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 you really didn't. You just took a nap. Yeah, I made a decision to do nothing about it. Uh, I made a decision to do absolutely nothing about the problem that I'm facing. And sometimes we, as men and as Christian, we are called to face that problem and tackle it head on. But we tend to run away. Now, again, we talk about, you know, the the power of, of prayer. And we talk about, you know, how that is the first thing to do. That is. But to do absolutely nothing? Well, let me say this. It's, it's not good to do absolutely nothing. What is good is to... Do the right thing first. We pray, we seek guidance from the Lord, and then we are to do what He calls us to do. And Nehemiah says, "We put people on the wall. We put people on the wall." See, they didn't just pray and say, "Okay, Lord, it's just, it's just in your hands, man." And uh, well, well, we're good for we're good with it. So, can we go ahead and uh, we're all right? We're going to go to bed. We're not going to put anybody on the wall to watch it. We're just going to go ahead and and uh, do absolutely nothing. And so there's so much trash. There's so much trash going on, trash in our minds and everything. So the work of the rebuilding of the walls was not only construction, but cleaning and hauling. And if you've been with us on that restoration, you see that. The ruins of the walls were lying in waste for hundreds of years. that had become a collecting point for all kinds of garbage. And so clearing away the ruin and the trash, well, you know, it wasn't an option. It had to be done. And so there are those people that had to do that. Then there were those people that were standing on the wall. Now, a lot of people are like, dude, I want to be that guy. I want to stand on the wall because I look good holding a weapon. You know what their weapons were? Well, we'll find out later. It was farming tools. Okay, cool. That would be like Eric going, Mark, I want to be that cool-looking dude standing on the wall. Give me a good weapon. All right, let's see. Uh, Let's see what's the best one. Here's one. It's just all wooden. You want something with some metal on it? Yeah, metal. Because metal could really hurt someone. Okay, cool. Hold on. Here. Here's a hoe. A hoe? That's your weapon. No, no, no. I don't want that. Okay, cool. Here's a rake. A rake? Yeah, that's your weapon. Dude, these aren't weapons. These are garden tools. There's no grass on the wall, Mark. Well, good luck. Think about it. If you're fighting with a garden tool, you better be good. Anybody can shoot a gun. Anybody. All you got to do is just kind of figure out how to get the bullet in the chamber and start pulling the trigger. It's a scary thing when somebody shoots at you. I don't know. how anybody ever been shot at? King has. Jesse has. Those guys are veterans of foreign wars, Correct. Well, I'm not a veteran. I, I mean, the the only army I served in once was the Salvation Army. And I always joke with Doug is that that army could be Canada's army. But anyway, so I've been shot at before. And the scary thing is, is there's bullets flying. Now, the guy doesn't have to be a great shot to scare you with a gun. It's It's a scary situation. So they had... You know, different things. And so the guys clearing away the trash actually probably had the better gig going on. Yeah, sure, I'll clear away the trash. At least nobody's going to be trying to throw bullets at me or rocks or whatever. So it had to be done. The destroyed parts of the wall had accumulated. The trash had to be cleared away so the walls could be rebuilt, their foundations. If they didn't do this, the walls wouldn't stand at all. See, if our Christian life had nothing, you know, other than nothing much can be built for God's glory unless all of a sudden that trash in our life is starting to be swept away. Taking out the garbage can be very discouraging work. How many of you have kids and you say, hey, will you take out the garbage? And they're like, oh, boy, I get to do that. My wife's like, hey, Mark, can you take out the trash? And I'm like, it has to be done right now. And she's like, well, if you want that stink to go away, it does. See, it needs to be done. There may be faithless talk that you hear from people that are close. They may say things like, it won't ever get better, we lost everything, you know, blah, blah, blah. It will get better, I promise. But I'll say this, a long time ago, and I know this from experience, I lost everything. And it wasn't due to a flood. It wasn't due to a fire. I lost everything, a great job, most all my possessions, everything I thought to be true, house, home, dog, everything. I lost it all. But I look back, and I now realize that, you know what? The best thing that ever happened to me was that. That losing it all was the very best thing that ever happened to me. God knew my tomorrows, and he knew that that would be the best thing that happened. I wouldn't have believed you if you told me. And you're probably like, dude, I don't believe you, and I'm telling you. I wouldn't have believed you a week out, a month out, or even a year out. But somewhere around two and a half years, three years, things started really to change. Fruit started coming up. And man, now that I have some distance, I'm here. It's not 1997. It was the greatest thing that ever happened. Last night we went to the Katy football game and they honored all these people from, you know, the Katy area from times past. And these guys were the championship, state champion football players and stuff. And I remember thinking, man, that's awesome. They accomplished something back then. My next question in my head was, I'd really like to get down there and go, so what are you doing now? I know I, I'd seen some of them around Katy and kind of get an idea of what they're doing now. Not, not much. But they did something great. So if, if something great happened back then, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. This is a new start for a lot of people. I remember somebody had told me that. And they're like, dude, you get a new start. And I was like, dude, I, I, I was really good with what, the, the midway portion of where I was, and then I lost everything. See, it was the greatest thing that ever happened. It was painful in every way, let me say that. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, every way it was very painful, but great. I wouldn't change now. If I could go back, I would not change anything other than my attitude of it being the worst time of my life. It actually was the beginning of the greatest time in my life. And I stand here now. See, we're not able to build the wall, so the excavation work had to start. That's what he says. We're not able to build the wall, but it had to start. Before they could build the walls up, they had to tear down and clear away the trash. They had to go down before they could go up. It was difficult because often the work of building is a lot easier. It's a lot more fun than clearing away the trash. It was difficult because as the mound of trash was torn down, the city was even more vulnerable than before. Oh, we can see some people thinking, hey, don't take away the trash. Our enemies are near, and you can merely just clear a path for them to enter in. Leave it there. It's an obstacle, but it had to go. It was difficult because there are always those who will defend any heap of trash, no matter how useless it is. Well, you know, my grandfather, he, he had that pile of trash, and if it was good enough for him, it's good enough for us. That's the wrong attitude. This is bad thinking. We should clear away the old so we can build on the true foundation. The heart of the people, as shown in verse 10, must have been a very big discouragement for Nehemiah. It's easy to lead when your followers are willing to follow and they're full of enthusiasm and have a heart to do hard work. But I'll tell you this, what you do when that begins to fade is the greatest. You know, I mean, what do you do when that begins to fade? What do you do when that becomes tough? The challenge from the outside, well, the enemies plan a surprise attack. Look, verse 11, it says, And our adversary said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So you might wonder why this would have been a profound effect on the Jews. These words played powerfully upon their imagination, and here's why. The people... The Jews had remembered that not too long ago they had experienced violence from the very same people and Judah's neighbors were capable of brutality. The rumors of stealth and death were very unsettling to these guys. They knew the history of these enemies, the workers. Verse 10 marks the lowest point in the spirits of these doing the work. Things were already bad, and now the enemies planned its raid on the workers to crush those rebuilding the walls. And then it says, they will neither know nor see anything. They're not going to know when we come in and kill. It's doubtful these enemies knew exactly how discouraged these people of God were. But certainly the councils of spiritual darkness in high places knew, and the attack was planned. See, we can almost imagine the spiritual ranks of darkness basically suggesting to the adversaries of God's people, now, 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 now is the time to attack Sanballat and Tobiah. Go for it. Jump on them. Get them. Don't delay. You'll crush them. They knew Israel's state of discouragement made evil very easy for a victory to be possible. The attacks we suffer from in the spiritual forces of darkness are just as strategically timed and our spiritual enemies know when we are discouraged, tired, angry, and proud and self-confident. They will neither know nor see anything. Often attacks from the adversary are very successful, only if they come as a surprise. So when God's people are on guard, the enemy sees very little victory. It says, kill and cause the work to cease. The enemies of God's people paid the backhanded compliment by saying this. They knew by now that the only way to get them to stop serving God and doing his work was to kill them, to wipe them out. See, this can't be said of every servant of God today. Uh, For a lot, for many, the devil does not have to kill them because remember, like we said before, discouragement, compromise, money, relationships, frustration, or trouble can get them to stop serving God. It's very easy. I think that's why the church sometimes, and I mean the church overall, is so weak these days. This is a wonderful example of the power and goodness of God. The enemies of God and his people did their best, but God was always in control. That's awesome to see that. I want you to know that God is always in control. We don't have to to submit to the enemy. So the enemies didn't know there were these faithful Jews listening to their plotting. And it says, they told us 10 times. It's easy to picture this scene and see the informals repeating over and over again. Attack is coming. It's for real. It's for real. They will defeat us from whatever place you turn. They're going to be upon us. They're scared. These who overheard the plan didn't have the wisdom to know what to do in response. They were in a panic. They were probably troubled. And guess what? Nehemiah didn't also panic. He didn't panic. Because remember verse 14, he says, And I looked, and I arose, and I said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord is great and awesome. And fight for your brethren and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. He says, bros, if you're going to fight, fight for those reasons. Do it for those reasons. What are those reasons? Fight for your brethren. Fight for your country, basically, is what he's saying. Fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your and your houses, your stuff. Fight for that. But first and foremost, know that the Lord is great and awesome. See, when the enemy attacks, there are always areas in our life that could be called the exposed places. The wall's not yet been built in this area, and we're still very vulnerable to an attack. Sand ballot here isn't stupid. He goes for their weaknesses, and this may be a personal problem like pride or greed or being given over to worry or depression. It may be a habit or an addiction that Satan can actually use. It doesn't matter what it is, but if we guard those lower parts, those exposed places, then it's tougher for him to wiggle his way in. It's tougher for him to discourage us. So let me ask this. Your wall, Are you building it as a wall of prayer first and foremost? Because that's one of the foundations of this wall. And then the next level needs to be study of God's word, knowing the direction you need to go and how to get there and seeing that God is great and awesome. And finally, are you doing it for those around you? Are you leading by example so those around you aren't discouraged and scared? I'll close with this. My Wife and I, sometimes I come home and there might be a situation that's kind of a scary situation for me. And I'm like, man, it's horrible. But I have to often think, man, do I share that with her or, or do I keep it to myself? Do I share it with her right away or do I pray about it and, and do I give it to the Lord and, and come up with an answer? Because if I walk in there and it scares her and she's scared and I'm already got fear, uh, then it's chaos. So I sometimes have to give it over to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I need faith. I believe that you can do this, but I'm having a struggle, and I, I just need an extra measure of faith to get through this point and through this time and through the situation. I'm not asking you to take me out of the situation. Just direct me through it. May, let me make the right decisions as I go through this craziness. And as he guides and he directs, it's amazing that once I share it with my wife, she has the faith. And, you know, she'll, she'll look and she's watching. She, her eyes are a little wider. We're on the walls watching. We're not called to just sit back and go, oh, the Lord's got it. Good, good deal. But she's watching with me. She's got my sixes. She's got my back. I got her back. And we're watching as we walk and we see that on the other side and we get through it. And we're like, man, we got through it. High five. And she gives me a big hug or I give her a high five and we celebrate. And then we're like, okay, are we ready for the next one? Do you know those things don't get easier? You're like, oh, dude, really? It was really cool when you were ending with the high five. <laughs> you want me to tell you the truth or what you want to hear? The truth is it doesn't get easier, but the Lord is always there. He's our banner. we sing that the Lord is our banner. A banner, you know, when you think about it, you think we might think birthday banners because none of us have probably, other than Jesse and King, have been to war. And I don't know if they ran behind a banner, but it would be the flag of the United States, I would suppose. But when it says the Lord is our banner, it's a term of war. It's a term of battle. And the banners would go out before the armies. And then the men who were ready to fight would follow those banners. And as long as they followed and obeyed the Lord's instruction, Israel always won. Always won. And so we've got to follow the banner. That's one of the names that God gives to himself or that people call God in the Old Testament. He is my banner. We see it in the song, and I remember when we were singing that song, I thought, yeah, man, that's cool. I want to follow that banner. I want to follow the Lord into that spiritual battle that you and I are engaged in. And again, like I said, you may not be engaged in a spiritual battle. You might want to ask, am I even a threat to the enemy? Am I doing anything? Am I doing anything other than building my own kingdom, my own desires? Have I become my own idol? And that, That's easy. I, I've been there. I've been my own idol before. I don't ever look in the mirror and say, man, that's an ugly guy. I'm like, man, he's the best looking dude I've ever met. Some of you guys are pretty good looking, but not as good looking as I am in front of that mirror. But that's me, that's pride, that's the idol. And I have to be careful. I have to be careful that I'm not making Mark's kingdom. I have to, I tell people all the time, you know, I I start this in my prayer every morning as I walk up as Lord, I don't care if they like me. I, I just pray that they hear from you. That It's the Lord that you fall in love with, not me. And so if we follow him, well, we know he is true and faithful. Amen? Thanks for tuning
0: in again today to Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been sharing insights and promises found in the book of Nehemiah, reminding you again of God's faithfulness and blessings that are still available to you today. We hope you'll continue to read through Nehemiah and see for yourself how God can touch your life. Is what you heard today about God new to you? Or are you questioning what being a follower of Jesus is all about? If so, today's a great day to begin a relationship that will bless your life and save you from your sins. We'd love to tell you more, so please get in contact with us. Here's Tracy to tell you how.
1: Are you ready to meet Jesus and have your sins forgiven? We would be honored to be the
0: ones to tell you about God's Son, who came to earth to pay the price for you and
1: every person on earth. That price is death. But because Jesus died, you have the chance to live. Give us a call so we can tell you more. Our number is 281-391-5503.
0: Thanks, Tracy. We're so excited to know that you're joining our family of faith. We'd love to meet you in person, too. So if you're in the Houston area, come visit us at Calvary Chapel, Katy. We'll be able to tell you more and get you directions when you call us. That number again is 281-391-5503. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll tune in again to Come Alive.